good reception here for Ajana Adikara Mava. Comes round the final bend and down the home straight. So it is silver for Aksana Abdikaramova, 57-66. Welcome to season two of Flame Bears, the women athletes blazing the trail to Beijing. I'm your host, Jamie. Season two takes us to the 2022 Beijing Winter Games. And like season one, we're elevating women Olympians and Paralympians for their full selves. Yes, these athletes are literally the best in the world at what they do, but they're also people with passions, struggles, and relationships. So to kick off season two, we speak with two-time Russian Paralympian, biathlete and wheelchair racer, Akshana Abdikaramova. She shares with us what it means to represent the Russian Olympic Committee and sheds light on the invisibility of disability in Russia, how it's evolved, and how it hasn't over the past 30 years. My name is Agjana, and I'm a Russian Paralympic athlete. I'm two-time Paralympian. I'm doing biathlon and cross-country skiing. And also I'm doing wheelchair racing in the summer. I'm doing my sport about 11 years already. I was in Sochi in 2014 and I was in Pyeongchang in 2018. And also I was nominated for national Paralympic team in Rio, but as you may know, nobody from Russian team didn't get it. The entire Russian Paralympic team has been banned from next month's Rio Games. It's following the World Anti-Doping Watchdog's recommendations for a blanket ban on Russia. Athletes whose national federation is suspended by the IWF are ineligible for competition held under the IWF rules, including the Olympic Games. While we won't be focusing on the details of the Russian doping scandal, it's worth noting because this is why Akshana is not representing Russia in the Beijing Winter Games. Rather, she's competing in biathlon on behalf of the Russian Olympic Committee, or ROC. This is continuing punishment for Russia for their previously sanctioned doping, even though many of the athletes are different. So... What exactly is biathlon? Here's a little 101. Skis, rifles, sweet headbands. This is biathlon, a timed ski race where you shoot at rifle ranges along the course. It's awesome, but also kind of odd. There's no other sport that combines athleticism and weaponry the same way. Although it's popular in Europe, most Americans only know it from whatever James Bond movie that was. It's a competitive, professional sport with military roots that stretch back centuries. And it all started in Norway with a guy named Oscar. Oscar Wergeland, to be exact. A Norwegian military officer who loved skiing so much he wrote a book of ski drills for his troops. His book combined the sport of skiing with the precision of rifle shooting, and the sport was ultimately embraced throughout Europe as a form of exercise in the 1800s. 
by World War I, soldiers on both sides were fighting on skis. And by the 1940s, it became an official Olympic sport. That said, biathlon made its first appearance in the Paralympic Games 54 years later in 1994 in Lillehammer, Norway. So how does it even work nowadays? Paralympic biathlon races range from 6 to 15 kilometers in distance. Competitors start the race at staggered intervals. Paralympic biathletes are separated into three different categories, sitting, standing, and visually impaired. Athletes with physical and vision impairments can compete. Vision impaired athletes ski with a guide. Here's Akshana with more. We have um, three distance in biathlon right now. It's 6K, it's a sprint. Uh, when you do two shooting range, so you do like 2K, then shooting, and then 2K, and then again shooting, and then 2K, you finish the race. Uh, then 10K, it's with a four shooting. And individual biathlon, it was middle, and individual, it's 12 and a half K with a four shooting. So mm. that's the Paralympic uh, program. Akshana, I'm so curious. How did you get into biathlon? Well, it's an interesting story because it was very accidentally. I was hanging out with my friends 11 years ago, as I said. And one guy came along and he said, hey, do you want to do some sports? Have, have you done something, any sport? And I haven't because when I, I, I met him when I was 25. So before that, I didn't do any sport at all. And I was like curious and I said, yeah, why not? And he gave me the head coach, Irina Gromova of National Paralympic team. She's a legend in, in our sport. She started this movement in Russia. So um, and now she's my coach. And then we started work together and I lost I think 20 kilograms. That's my story, how I get there. So how did you go from meeting your coach to wheelchair racing and eventually skiing and then biathlon, which is now the sport you're competing in in Beijing? My coach told me that we met each other in April and she said, in May, do you have uh, the passport to go abroad? And I said, yes, I have. And she said, you will participate in uh, Swiss series in Switzerland and Notville. It's a big uh, event where all the wheelchair racers from all around, all around the world are meeting and doing competition. Well, and that was my first time when I was uh, on the wheelchair, in the wheelchair racing competition. And I was like, what? Me here? Wow! And yeah, I do from 100 meters till marathon right now. And then uh, there I was 100 and 200 meters. So it was 29 seconds. Wow. For the, yeah, for, no, it, it's, it's very slow. <laughs> uh, for, for now, I'm doing 17. It was the first time and I cherished that moment. So... When did you first get on skis and what was that like? It was later. We were in um, Finland 
and she said uh, let's try uh, skiing and I said wow let's do this <laughs> it was uh, something new because I'm using the wheelchair mm-hmm. and I haven't I, I have an idea that uh, someone that couldn't walk by their legs uh, that could use some gadget or <laughs> I don't know is it right <laughs> to use a ski and to do that stuff that we we can do right now it was in 2011 and in 2014 will be the Sochi and I I thought I I, I have to be there my home Paralympic Games the idea of competing for and in her country was very important to Akshana. The airplane landed and I realized that it's that's it. And uh, in my um, in my ears was that you know that song but wake me up when it's all over because I'm so uh, nervous and all that stuff. Then we get to the hotel and I was with my roommate and teammate Uh, Natalia and I said do you believe that we are here and we our first Olympic games my first race wasn't good it was biathlon 6k and I did four missions and it's awful because all that season before I was zero and then I was crying because it's the first time and I was nervous and my parents were there my father was there and he he yelled hey i'm here hey honey <laughs> more nervous when someone who care who you cares who you care about i don't know i i think i was just to hold myself together put myself together right and i did 10k and 12k without any mistrust later so and i was I took the fifth place because you know it's very strong uh, ladies there. But I think that fifth place for the first Paralympic Games is very very good for me. Akshana's road to Beijing has been anything but easy. And it's not for the reasons you may think. Yeah, I have a spina bifida so I was born like this and I I don't know how to feel it when you use your leg. <laughs> And I think that's better for me because I'm pretty sensitive. So I don't know. I, I was I was like this all my life. Side note: If you want to learn more about spina bifida, check out Tamara Leonelli's episode from season one, which focuses on her battle with the condition. Now, though it's been a very hard path for Akshana, growing up with a disability in the Soviet and post-Soviet Union was challenging due to the fact that the country didn't even acknowledge that people with disabilities existed. Disabled people here used to be hidden away. I'm not going to lie because it's very challenging to live uh, with disability in the post-Soviet Union uh, country because Soviet Union uh, did all the best that uh, the disability people doesn't exist <laughs> so now our country trying to fix it up and sometimes it's good sometimes it's um, hard but that's how we live right now but um 
my parents was with me and my friends and I have never felt like disabled or I'm different or something like this. I've never been to, to Russia or to the post-Soviet Union before. When you say they pretend it doesn't exist, what does that mean? Well, in 1982, we had um, Olympic Games in, in Moscow. And when organizing committee asked about the Paralympic, the Soviet Union said we don't have any disability, so we will not uh, do Paralympic Games. So we don't have it. When Moscow hosted the Olympics back in 1980, they said no to also staging the Paralympics. There was no point, they said. Why? Because officially, at least, there were no disabled people in the Soviet Union. Till the new government uh, decided to do the environment, or maybe it was like late 90s, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. But long time we had stairs, the disabled people couldn't go out from their houses and all that, uh, all that stuff. And now we do the, the big move forward. And we have in Moscow, I don't, almost, I don't have any problem to, to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And especially after Sochi, we have a great heritage after Sochi mm-hmm. in 2014. And now it's much, much better than it was when I was a kid. Wow. So exactly how did this discrimination happen in the first place? Here's Mary Eintema of World Boston to give us a historical perspective. I spoke with Ms. Eintema because while she no longer lives in Russia, she understood how the government, private, and public sectors work together, given her work founding United Way Moscow. My name is Mary Eintema. And I am the president and CEO of World Boston, which is um, an affiliate of the World Affairs Councils of America. The way that I, I like to look at it is that with the end of communism, the three sectors of society uh, developed very rapidly, but we typically only think of the first two, that is the economy or commercial activity, political expression, political activity. And then the third one is actually NGOs. And we don't realize how critical the NGO sector is to democracy, partly because the U.S. has such a huge one. NGOs in the U.S. provide something like, or at least 40% of our social services that you and I use every day because the government contracts out to them. So in Soviet times, That did not exist. So to summarize, state services and NGOs both play important roles in societies. NGOs can respond quickly before policy is made, and state services have to exist because NGOs literally can't do it all. In the USSR, there was effectively neither for the disabled community. In theory, even if you wanted to start I don't know, an independent gardening club or a chamber music society or something. Um, Under the old Soviet constitution, you would have had to have some statement about the party in your founding articles and uh, even potentially have had, you know, a, a party member involved in the direction of the organization. Now, why does that matter for 
our topic of disability. These organizations that you and I are so used to in the West really were not allowed to exist. That's one thing. And then at the same time, there's very little recognition on the part of the state of social needs, particularly disability. I think in 1988, by then Prime Minister said in public a very typical statement, which was that we have no disabled people in Russia, which of course is, is you know, insane. 1992, I think it was, we had the first law on charity in the Russian Federation. And then uh, things really started to happen on the disability front fairly quickly. In 93, the president made a declaration supporting people with disabilities. Then in 95, quite a lot of action, protection for people with disabilities, social services, and in theory, equality of opportunity for people with disabilities. How good were the services? How much have attitudes actually changed? That's another question. To weigh in on this changing condition of things, I turn to Denise Rosa, head of one of the most respected and renowned disability organizations in Russia. My name is Denise Rosa, and I'm the founder and director of Perspectiva. It's a disability organization and also the director of Best Buddies Russia. So you didn't see people with disabilities. There was no accessibility. There were no wheelchairs. There was no official legislation. Disabled people were invisible. So even if someone were to get a wheelchair, it would be a big, uncomfortable, heavy wheelchair. You wouldn't be able to get around the city anyway. There were hardly any technical aids. People would have um, books. They would tape stories for blind people. And the big disability organization would distribute these stories to people. And there was Braille. You know, you would occasionally run across a Braille book, but it wasn't like you. Most people had never met a disabled person. Despite these challenges, Akshana continues to fight to change how people think about para-athletes. Well, when I started, when I was young, when I was a little girl, we have an exception. We had an exception from, from the society for the people who are different. And um, when I was a little girl, it was like, oh, you see this wheelchair race or a uh, wheelchair user or this disability or widow or something like this. And now they can see us and say the little girls and boys can see us uh, and say, wow, this is athlete. So we already changed something. Miss Rosa agrees that things are changing. I think the Paralympic Games really helped to make change. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of public awareness about the games that were going to happen in Sochi. Sochi. Of course, Moscow the community became more accessible. There's people, disabled people in the media much more now than years ago. So if you can think about all of the discrimination, lots of discrimination, no legislation, the first piece of legislation didn't appear until 1995, the social protection of people with disabilities. And in fact, that's the piece of legislation that is now being amended 
because the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities was ratified in 2012. And that also had a big impact. The government started making an inclusive education, employment, biggest employment programs in Russia. So we see a lot of change there as well. Businesses looking at, at how they can include people. I mean, they're all looking at diversity. Sure. And as part of the diversity agenda, people with disabilities have been included. So people are looking at how to include people with disabilities, how to employ, where are those people with disabilities? And it's not easy because a big issue is education, getting a quality education. Some mm. people have been in special classes. Some people are getting an education at home. Some, if like, Kids and the deaf kids and blind kids are still getting an education in separate schools. So it's it's changing a lot. And there's much more awareness than there ever was. But there's still a lot more to be done. I asked Miss Rosa why it's important to tell the stories of athletes like Akshana. I think it's important when you do it, when you show these stories, that you also include the bumps, you include the barriers, because Everyone has to go through probably a lot. I mean, obviously, Agjana has seen a lot, you know, and she's had barriers and she's had a lot of successes and she's had a lot of people supporting her and she's had, she's seen accessibility and inaccessibility. And I think it's so important, not only for, for the community in general, because people still have a lot of myths. There are, you know, great people around us all the time. I think telling stories is so important because you see a real person Given that we're all really struggling and hurting in the middle of a global pandemic with surging Omicron cases, I wanted tips on how Akshana has stayed so motivated. I can tell you a little story about the pandemic. We couldn't go outside. We were in the lockdown and we did our uh, workouts indoors. And I was myself to um, tell people about us, about our team. We have a Instagram and I did, you know, develop oh, an Instagram. Gromova team, if you're interested, you can go there and all my team. That's the Gromova team on Instagram. Give them a follow. So we did this and one mom, uh, one guy, uh, one little boy mom, she write me that uh, my son has spina bifida too. Can I connect with you and uh, to know how we can do sport? And we don't really have any kids in, in, in our sport yet in our country. So for that, like about one and a half year, we have 10, 10 <laughs> kids. And it's Gromova Team Junior. It's a team. And we have it in Instagram too. And they are so inspiration. They love sport. They love in sport as, as much as we do. And sometimes when I don't in this time, I don't feel I don't feel good. I don't want to do something. I, I'm thinking that um, about that guys that that kids and I need to be their motivation, their role model and I'm doing for now I'm doing for this because it's very very inspiring project for me. 
Akshana, do you have any advice for other para-athletes out there? It's worth it, 100%. And I think that if you see the picture in your mind, it will come to reality. So mm. just do this picture more, more, more reality. <laughs> so more, you can touch, you can feel it, you know. And be the best of yourself. Don't be scared of anything. I think this is very important not to be scared. Believe in you and in yourself and your goals. It's pretty, pretty easy. <laughs> but it sounds easy, but it's, you need to feel it. You need to figure it out. But if you are scared, she has this to say. My dad told me, I said, I'm so scared. I don't know how, how I can do this good. I don't know. Can I do this or not? And he said, just do the step by step. Just uh, you wake up, you don't think about the race. You just wake up, drink your coffee, eat your breakfast. And I realized I did that step by step. And now then I realized that I'm in the starting line. What should I do now? I should do my 2K till the shooting range. And I did. And then I was in the shooting range. What should I do? I need to do that. These steps that I did all the time before because I was trained. I didn't do this like right now. <laughs> I did it mm -hmm. all the time. And this helps me to, to go through them when I'm scared. Thanks for tuning in to Flame Bears, the woman athletes blazing the trail to Beijing. For more behind the scenes coverage, Follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Flame Bears. Massive thank you to the Harvard Kennedy School's Woman in Public Policy Program and the Harvard Innovation Lab for your ongoing support. Thank you to my amazing gal group within Stanford's Galvanizer Incubator Program. Last but certainly not least, thank you to Dino Catano and Emma Minto for your ongoing support. We'll catch you on our next episode.